God is good, amen? All the time, God is good. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We're going to be at Psalm 85 this morning. As you uh, have received the bulletin, as you sat down or you've picked one up in a, in a pew around you, you've noticed that a little something different. I do not have any blanks for you to fill out except for the, what the Holy Spirit prompts you to write down. So I pray that you will still be able to follow along and uh, God will speak to us and uh, you'll be able to, to notate that which He brings out to you. Psalm 85 is where we're going to be looking in just a moment, but I wonder if we can, if we can kind of give some self-evaluation today. And when I say that, I don't necessarily just mean as us as individuals, but I want us to look inward when it comes to our church. I want us to look at our world today. And I want us to really ask the Lord to speak His truth to us in whichever way He sees fit today. I have a question I want, to, I want to ask us today, but I don't want you to answer out loud. I want you just to reflect on this question. What is one of the major issues facing our world today? Again, don't say it out loud. Just reflect on that. What is one of the major issues? And notice I said one of the major issues. There are many issues in our world today. And as I've asked you that question, as you've probably pondered that over the last six months at least, I believe if we were to allow you to answer out loud, we would get many different answers. You see, there's plenty of bad going on in our world today, amen? There's plenty of evil that surrounds us. Sometimes people ask rhetorical questions. Questions that really have such an obvious answer that we don't really need to answer them. But I want us to look and ask some questions today that pertains to the world and also how the world intersects or interacts with the church. Can you, can you help me with this this morning? So these questions I want you to answer out loud, if you will. Question number one. Is there division in our world? Yes. Pretty easy, right? Number two, is there hatred in our world? Yes, pretty easy once again. Number three, is there sin in our world? Yes, pretty easy. Those are really easy questions. Pastor, where are you going with this? That was too easy. I need something a little heavier, a little deeper. I came to church today. I need you to give me something. Well, here we go. Question number four. Is there division in the church? Yes. Is there hatred in the church? Is there sin in the church? Got a little quieter as we read those questions, didn't it? Maybe it's not so easy when we take a moment and we reflect on these questions. Question number seven. Is there an answer for both? Amen. I want to talk about that this morning if I can. We're getting ready as we embark on this new month of September to, to prepare our, our church and to prepare our lives for, 
for revival services that are coming. We've scheduled revival in the first weekend in October. And uh, as of right now, Lord willing, that is still the plan. And so we're looking forward to having some evangelists with us the first weekend in October. But I, I believe it's, it's my responsibility as your pastor for us to be ready for it. Amen? So I want us to talk about revival for the next few weeks. We, we've probably all stated at one point or another in the last uh, few months that we need a revival in our land. I've heard people in the church say that. We need God to touch our nation and touch our world once again. And, and I can't be mistaken to leave this very important piece out. We need God to touch His church again. So what are we really asking for when we ask for revival? What are we really asking God? What are we really praying about when we pray, God, send revival on your land? What are we really asking Him for? Do we really know what we're getting into? Are we serious about what it takes for revival to happen? You see, revival really, plain and simply, and this is kind of the theme over this month, is revival really is a, a fire of the heart. It's a fire of the heart. And so if it's a fire of the heart, what sparks a great revival? The answer, very simply, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is referenced in Scripture as, as, a, as a fire, as a wind, as, as something tangible. And we want that fire to, to awaken our souls, to awaken our church, to awaken our world in a fresh new way. But do we really understand what we're asking for? You see, if the Holy Spirit is the spark of revival, do we realize that what we're asking the Holy Spirit to come in and do is we're asking Him to come in and take control. We're asking Him to, to come and to do what He wants to do. We're putting aside our wishes, our wants. I want us to look at history a little bit when it comes to this term or this, this idea of revival. Uh, I'm, I'm a sucker for a good... Um, who, what, when, where, and how type of scenario, okay? My wife would always give me, would give me a grief when we'd have a birthday party for one of our kids. And, and I'd say, well, just get a postcard and put the when and, and why and what and where. And she goes, that's just so boring. I said, yeah, but it gives us everything we need to know. Who, what, when, where, and how. So I want us to look at, at, at five of historical references of great American revivals in history. So this, this is history pointing us back to revival that took place in our nation, in our land. The first one that, that, is, that, is, that is public here in this research I was doing is the first great awakening. The first great awakening is what it was called, and it was clear back in 1730 to 1740, just yesterday, right? Yeah. You see, in this season of time, and what sparked the great, the first great awakening is that the church participation in the 1730s, 1740s, was what they called lax. It was what they called lax. Does anybody know what lax means? Nobody? Yeah, tell me. not strong, it's lazy. Good, good. Those are exactly the way they described it in the 1700s was they called it the halfway covenant. 
the halfway covenant. And that's how they were talking about people in the church and their church participation. In the 1730s and 40s, they called it the halfway covenant and that God needed to revive, awaken His church once again. And so this revival took place with local preaching and local teaching that convicted the church of the sin in the church. And it renewed the church for their need for Jesus. The first great awakening. I wonder, can we relate to those needs today? Hmm. Do we need another great awakening? I believe so. Are we ready and prepared for another one? I don't know if we are yet. Let's talk about the second one. This was, this was very creative. The second one is called the second great awakening. And if we had to have a second one, that means the first one didn't last long enough, I guess. So the second one happened almost a century later, 1820s to the 1850s. It lasted a little bit longer. And what was going on in the 1800s at this time was that the moral fabric of the society was tattered and torn by sin. Can you believe that? There's sin in the world. And the desire was for the church to pray and to live out the scripture that says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first great awakening was for church conviction. The second great awakening was really for everyone everywhere. There was a need for Jesus like never before. And if people would realize their need for Jesus, the church would grow once again. There was intersection between revival of the world and revival of the church. Can we relate to those needs? I think we can. Are we ready and prepared for another great awakening? I don't know. So then the third one that history points to, again, believe it or not, very creative. The third great awakening, yes. This one happened closer to where we're at. In 1875 to 1885, this happened in the, in, the, in the whereabouts of Chicago. Does Chicago need another great awakening? All the people said amen. D.L. Moody was all about taking Jesus where the people were. He began street Bible studies and, and church and homes and, and neighborhoods, non-traditional church methods being used to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ in Chicago. You see, this was after the great Chicago fire, after the war. And so there's a lot that's going on, and there's a lot of depression and need for Jesus. And D.L. Moody said, you know what? We can't expect them to come to us anymore. We've got to go to them. Hmm. The appeal was Jesus wants you just the way you are. And you need to come to him now because he's coming back soon, and you need Jesus. So let's take it to the streets, the El Moody would say. Can we relate to those needs? Hmm. When I read that, I thought, you know, it's interesting that now we're experiencing church in non-traditional ways. We as a church have taken Jesus to the neighborhoods and the streets. Praise His name. Do we need another great awakening? I believe we do. But are we ready and prepared for that? The fourth revival that history points to is called, they got a little bit more creative here, but not so much when you find out a little bit about it. The Azusa Street Revival. Guess where it happened? 
on the Azusa Street. Yeah, in California, you're right. In Los Angeles. This was the birth of the Holiness Church. This was considered a repercussion of the Second Great Awakening with an emphasis on sanctification and holiness as a response to God's call on our life. William Seymour was a catalyst for this movement. William Seymour was known for praying seven hours a day for this revival. Seven hours a day. Why would he pray for seven hours a day? This is what I read. It's because he was expecting God to act. Wow. Sometimes I struggle to pray for seven minutes. Seven hours a day. Why? Because he was expecting God to act. Are we praying with that fervor that God would send another revival? Are we expecting Him to answer our prayers? The result was that the church would be united and that everyone would be impacted. Can we relate to that need? Are we ready and prepared to do what it takes? We get a little bit more contemporary, a little bit more modern in the 20th century revivals. It kind of blocked a whole group of them together in here in the 20th century. From 1910 to the 1970s, and some would argue even into the 80s, from New York to, to L.A., all across the country. And the focus of these 20th century revivals was the acquisition of sin in people's lives, and they were so close to the gates of hell because of the way they were living their life. And a man by the name of Billy Sunday went from playing baseball to preaching about Jesus Christ. He would preach in month-long meetings. And he preached until it literally killed him <laughs> in 1935. The baton was picked up by another famous Billy Billy Graham picks up the baton of Billy Sunday and continues to conduct more than 400 crusades in 185 different countries. And to that we know that it was one of the greatest revival movements that the world has ever seen because of Billy Graham. He focused on not only having the big crusades, but he would focus on pulling in the local churches where these crusades were happening because he was impressed that people would make a decision for Jesus and they needed the church to stay strong in their faith. They needed a community to grow in. They needed a community to belong to, a place of like-minded people to become disciples of Jesus Christ and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Can we relate to those needs? Do we need another great revival? Are we prepared for another great revival? I think we can all agree that we need a great revival, and it would be great to see one break out and for us to be a part of that. But are we ready and willing to put in the work that's needed? Are we ready to humble ourselves and really trust God to use the Holy Spirit to work in our lives as, as church people, if you will, to begin the work in us, God, set your flame afresh and anew in my heart so that I can go and spread that flame to the world. Well, I'm so thankful that Scripture points to this. Amen? 
Hold on a minute. We can't go any further. Scripture points to a great revival. Amen? Scripture is our handbook. Psalm 85 is, is an Old Testament passage of Scripture that I want us to read today and look to about revival. And I want to read this to you from Psalm 85. I'm going to read the whole psalm. Would you follow along with me as, as I read? You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants. But let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. As we read this text and we see what, what the, the author is saying, many of us, we, we attribute most of the Psalms to David, which that is true, he wrote most of these. He did not write this psalm. And when we look at this psalm, it's written by the sons of Korah. And as you look at who the sons of Korah were, the sons of Korah were really temple assistants. The sons of Korah were church workers, you could say. And I would imagine it's safe to say that these writers were in the church looking out through the prism of the church, if you would call it that at that time, to the world around them. This writer saw the bad that was going on in the world. The writer saw the darkness in the world, and he's making a reverent request to God. He's not standing there pounding his fist, demanding that God do something. He's coming to God humbly, reverently, approaching God's throne to say, God, we need you to forgive and restore us again. You know, this tells me there's some similar similarities to the darkness that they were reading, they were experiencing in the world and the darkness and the things that we're dealing with in our world today. It reminds me that there's probably similarities as this worker in the church is, is looking out through the prism of the church and he's seeing maybe even the darkness in the church and the division in the church. And he's saying, we need God's touch again. And it reminds me of that same similarity that we are experiencing today. So I want us to take a closer look at what this author is really writing about and how it can help us as we prepare for God to come and do another great awakening. The first thing they're writing about here is a past blessing. 
a past blessing. You see, in verse 1 it says, You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You see, this is the past tense review of what God has done. They're looking at things that have happened to them and they're saying, God, you did this once before. You blessed the land. You blessed our country. And you blessed our people in the past. There's an understanding that at one time the darkness wasn't so dark for them. That God was on the scene and they were trusting Him. And that the sin and the evil in the world was not as bad as it was now. You see, there was favor and there were fortunes in the land and for the people. Otherwise, how could they write that in a past tense scenario? God, you did this before. I wonder if that applies to us today. If we could go reverently to God and say, God, you were favorable to us once before. You blessed us once before. You blessed our land before. We think about our country. This was a favorable land. We have freedom and rights and we have excess and abundance and and blessing. In fact, I would argue that we probably have too much. God, you blessed us with all of this. You've given us these freedoms. You've given us this ability as a country, as a nation. And then I think about it for us as a church. God, as I look back on our season of of life that is Pittsfield Church of the Nazarene. You have given us favorable days. You have given us favorable blessings. You have anointed your people. People have come and they have poured their lives out at these altars and they have they've turned their lives around and they you, we have seen people totally transformed for your will and your way. There were expectations of discipleship and transformation taking place. God, you've given us fortunes at PCN, not just numerically, but spiritually as well. Amen? God, you've done it before. I wonder if we are willing to look in the mirror today, both as individuals and as a church, and acknowledge that God has shown favor on us. He has given us fortunes. And I would want to be so bold today to say if He's done it before, He can do it again. Amen? If He's done it before for our nation, He can do it again for our nation. If He's done it before for our church, He can do it again for our church. Amen? God has given a past blessing. The second thing we need to see from this Scripture is the writer is writing about a past cleansing. Verses 2 and 3 says, You forgave the iniquity of your people and you covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and you turn from your fierce anger. Again, the writer is writing something that happened before. It's happened in the past. This writer understands that God did a work and people's lives were changed, that sins were forgiven and surrendered over to Him. And God had done a past cleansing. The Bible tells us that when we confess our sins and we give them to God, He removes them as far as I am from you. As far as six feet distance of social distancing is. No. It says He removes them as far as the east is from the west. Now, I like to go on boats with my wife, but I don't really sail a whole lot. But if I'm sailing east and west, guess what? There's never a beginning and an ending. It just keeps going. 
And God wants to remove your sin, your path, as far away as ever possible. Why? Because He loves us so much. He wants to cleanse us from anything that could creep into our lives to bring that evil and that sin and that nastiness back. And guess what? He's done that for us. He's cleansed us. And these writers are our church. They're church staffers, if you will. Greg, they're, they're, they're you. You know, they're, they're, they're sitting here viewing things and they're saying, you know what, God? You've done this before. We trusted you before. You've cleansed us before. And I'm so thankful. This isn't in my notes, so this is free for you, okay? God knew that cleansing was a part of this relationship with Him. All the way back to Genesis. You go clear back to Genesis and you read about the, the account of Genesis and where sin entered the world. From that moment on, God has continually worked a plan to restore you and me to Him. He's continually wanted to do cleansing in us that would change us forever. And, and He got so mad at, at us, His creation at one point. It's in, it's in the Scriptures. You can go read it. I'm going to paraphrase and tell you this story. But He got so angry that people weren't following Him that He said, you know what, I'm going to wipe everything out and start over again. And we read about the flood. But I'm so thankful that God made a promise after the flood, that he said, you know what? I'm never going to do that again. And every time we see that symbol of his promise, we can be reminded of that past cleansing that God has done in our lives. Amen? I don't know when the last time you saw a rainbow was, but next time you see a rainbow, will you look at that and say, God, thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for not destroying this world again. Thank you for not starting over because I was wrong. But God, you've done a past cleansing. We need you to do it again. We need a new cleansing. We need a fresh touch from Him. You see, just because God has forgiven us of our sins and our past doesn't mean that that forgiveness is just a snapshot of our life and then we go on about whatever we want to do. Now, I've got brothers and sisters of the faith that are going to disagree with me on this, but I firmly believe that this is, this is what God intends for us to continually walk with Him day by day. We can come to an altar and we can confess our sins, and at that moment in time, the Bible says we are forgiven. Amen? If you've been forgiven, will you just say amen? In that moment in time, that snapshot, you are forgiven of your sins, and you have punched your ticket to heaven. If you were to walk out the door and get hit by a truck, I believe you'd go to heaven. Now, God forbid that happens. Okay? But here's the deal. If you walk out those doors, and you start living for self again, and you start walking a little bit closer to what you want to do, you start walking a little bit closer to that old life that you lived, you start walking about around about those old things that you used to do that you think are no problem, that you think you can just keep doing and everything's going to be okay. Guess what? God didn't die, send Jesus to die on a cross so you could still live for self. God can't send revival if we're going to sit here and say, God, do it my way. God can't send and start something new in us if we're going to get up from the altar and go say, my life matters more than yours. It doesn't work that way. 
And these writers are saying, God, we know you've cleansed us from before. You've made us new. We need you to do it again. We need something else to happen. You see, when I look at our country, we were founded on Christian principles. In God we trust. We were started by people of faith that trusted in God. People and leaders and influencers who lived Christ-like lives as they formed this great nation. But something has changed. You see, I look at the church. The church is people. The church isn't a building. The church is you and me. We've been forgiven of our sins. We do our best to live like Christ. But are we doing it according to His Scripture? Matthew 28 that says the Great Commission and we preach the Great Commission going to all the world, teaching them to teaching them all the things that I've done for them and making, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times we stop right there. But are we really living Matthew 28 where it goes on to say, teach them to obey all I have commanded you. Wow. We can't just stop at a prayer for forgiveness and a water baptism and say we're good to go. We got to say, God, I need you to clean me up again. I'm tired of living for self. I need you to do a new work in my life. I need you to change me and get me back on track. Something has happened. Maybe our Christian lifestyle doesn't have the same fervor it used to. Maybe we're walking and talking and living more for self than we're living for Christ. God help us. Are we ready for a revival? If we can't look in the mirror today and truly say we're ready for a commitment that it takes to bring revival to the church and to the world, then I don't know if we're ready. Have we repented of, his, of our sins? Are we walking in His will for our lives? Are we walking out that door and living for self or are we living for Jesus? The good news today is that God forgave us before and I believe He can forgive us again. Amen? a past blessing, a past cleansing. And then finally, we need to look at what the writer is saying. They're asking a present request. Verses 4 to 7 say this, Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away, our disple put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me remind you once again, this writer is not somebody who's looking at the world only and saying, God, boy, they really need you. I wish they'd get it. They're willing to look inside and say, God, I'm sorry. I need you to change me first so that I can help change them. God, do a new thing. I'm coming to you. I'm asking for you to do something. It's a present request. 
We're recognizing what you've done in the past. We're recognizing and thankful for everything you've done. But I'm coming to you reverently, respectfully, and saying, God, we need you to do it again. The life application commentator, many of you have that Bible with you. The writer was asking God, so revive his people, bringing them back to spiritual life. The commentator goes on to say, God is capable of reviving both churches and individuals. Aren't you glad for that? He can pour out his love on us, renewing our love for him. If you need revival in your church, in your family, or in your personal spiritual life, here's the key. Ask God to give you a fresh touch of His love. Wow. How does revival happen again? It doesn't just happen because we schedule it on the calendar, folks. It doesn't just happen because we preach about it leading up to it. It doesn't just happen because we say a simple prayer here and there. Revival happens when we say, God, I need you to send revival. Will you have mercy on us? Will you send your love and your grace again to us? We must ask for revival. How did things get so bad? Boy, how did things get so bad? I'm sure many of you have said that over these last few months. As I was preparing this message, I believe God has given me some insight that may surprise you to that answer. How did things get so bad? Could it be that the condition of society today is a direct reflection of the condition of the church today? Does the world need revival? Yes. But where will that revival start? It must start in the church. It must start with you and with me. Henry Blackaby wrote, If society as a whole seems to be getting darker and darker, it is not the problem of the darkness. The darkness is just acting like it's nature. The problem is that the light is no longer dispelling the darkness. In other words, the church is not acting as the salt and the light to its world. Wow. I believe that God's trying to get our attention. Not from a political point of view. Not from a worldly point of view. But from a Christian, biblical, foundational to Christian life point of view. Amen? What is revival? Revival simply is a fire of the heart. Revival is the people of God asking for and experiencing the power of God to accomplish the purposes of God. But it starts in your heart and it starts in my heart. <laughs> do you want revival? Then do you know what you're asking for? Our prayer must be a prayer of acknowledgement, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of receiving God's fresh touch once again. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? As we pray together to close our service today, I want you just to close your eyes and bow your heads with me.
And if I can be so bold to declare over all of us today four really simple statements before we pray. Because my hope and my prayer is that these four statements would begin to spark in us what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life and in our church and in our world. May your hearts, may my heart and mine be open to what God wants. May our posture be a posture of prayer. May our hope be in the living God. And may we be used as His instruments to this dark world. Father God, I believe You are calling us to a great calling. To continue to be the light in this dark world. But in order for us to shine Your light, we cannot be in the darkness ourselves. God, I pray for forgiveness today. I pray, Lord, if there's any wrongdoing in my life, if there's any wrong attitude in my heart, that You would cleanse me once again. God, I pray for all of us. Would You give us the courage to look in the mirror and say, God, if there's anything in my life that You need to touch, I'm willing for You to change me. I'm willing for You to take my sins and my wrongdoing and separate them from me. God, will You forgive us today? God, maybe we haven't we don't have known sin in our life, but maybe, God, we just haven't been walking as close to You as we need to be. God, maybe our, our days get so messed up with all that we got to do that we forget to get in Your Word or we forget to talk to You. We forget to give You our day. God, would You forgive us for a lax attitude in our Christian walk? Would You forgive us, God, of a halfway covenant to our walk with You? Would you help us, God? God, we pray that you would start the revival work today in our hearts. And if we can be so bold to, to pray, God, you've done it before, would you do it again? We are asking you today, God, would you bring revival once again? Would you restore us again? Would you revive us again? Would you show us your unfailing love and grant us your salvation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want you to know today that God loves you, and so do I. Have a great day.